The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 293 premium for Thursday, October 21st, 2010. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send in the questions, you send in the tips, we build those into the agenda and deliver it for you with our answers, our advice, and your tips as well. From Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And from, where am I now? Fairfield, Connecticut, John O'Fron. There you go. So this is our second premium show of October, if I am not mistaken. But uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of questions. We you know we do the intro there. We explain what we do. But of course, you folks, because you're premium subscribers, you know exactly what we do. And thank you for supporting the show. That's uh, it means a lot to us, as we as we always say. Uh, so we've got a, we've got a couple things. I mean, we've got a lot of questions to answer. Uh, maybe a tip or two to share. I'm not sure how how we're going to go. And then. Apple had some little uh, little thing yesterday where they they announced some stuff. So maybe we'll talk about that later too. Right? We'll talk about that later too, I think, right, John? Well, we talked about it last night, but yeah, we can talk about it again. Good. We we didn't talk about it last night. You might have talked about I did, it with somebody with else. Jeff. That's right. Well, me and Jeff, yeah. We Good. did this other 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 there's another podcast, Dave. I'm yes. Sorry. Yes, that's right. You get, <laughs> was that the Mac Round Table that you were on? Mac Jury. Uh Mac Jury. Mac Jury. That's right. That's right. Cool. All right. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's dive right into Chuck. And I'm I'm starting in the midst of, of Chuck's audio comment because there was multiple pieces to it and Hopefully I've found the relevant bit. Something that can be done to correct that. Uh, here I we go. originally wanted to call, though, about emptying the trash. Uh, my trash seems to have gotten to where it doesn't want to let go of anything. I've tried holding down the option key while emptying it. I even tried a terminal uh, command line, a terminal line that I found, uh, rm-rf something uh, slash trash slash asterisk, I think. Uh, it, I copied it directly from... From, the, uh, from an article, and still nothing. Meanwhile, I can't even find out the size of what's in there because in a previous effort to empty it, it has gotten stuck on that, and whenever I do click on the trash itself, hoping to get information on the size, it simply says you can't open the trash because it's being emptied. So any ideas that you could offer, I'd be grateful for, and here's where you cut me off. All right. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, this is an interesting one, John. Do you want to uh, you want to run with it, or shall I start and then hand it to you? Um, I'm going to start with what I thought would have been useful and may okay. have helped us unravel the problem. Okay. Uh, so of course the trash is something you you can see through the finder, but you can also get to it as he said through the uh, command line. Right. And what he suggested, I think, was a good start, and that's our own old friend RM-FR. I don't think he needed to do the star if that's a recursive command, or maybe it does. It can't hurt to be explicit. Well, right? yeah, no. So to be fair, we have not stated the entire command yet. And, and if we're going to talk about it, we need to, the command that he typed was RM dash RF space tilde, which is for home slash mm -hmm. dot trash with a capital T slash star. And in that sense, I believe the star is required because we don't want to delete the trash folder itself. We want to delete the contents and Ooh, and the da and the dash R uh, means that we are going to recursively go through and delete any folders that are in there, not just files. So um, 
So that's that's that. I don't, I don't like to go too deep into command line stuff because it, it, for many of us, that's hard to visualize when hearing it. Of course, it's much easier to see it. So, but but true in that sense, the star is is relevant. But go ahead, John. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, the, the one piece of information that I would have found useful, and I think uh, may have helped us figure this out, would be to actually do a directory of, uh, do an ls command, probably an ls-a or something like that, uh, or l, or al, I like al because it does everything and it does it in a long format that tells you, you know, all the bits and pieces yep. uh, that, have, that have to do with the file, including, of course, things like permissions, which is what I think at some level this has to do with. Um, or somebody's owning it, and I guess that's the other thing. Um, but somebody may be holding on to that file, so so it, it, it's not letting it be thrown out. Though I thought I've seen that in the Finder as of late, that if you try to get rid of a file, it'll typically now, at least in Snow Lever, come up and say, oh, I can't do that because this application is holding on to this, but I, I don't think that's universal, unfortunately. Right, right. All right, uh, so he did say, he said he did uh, repair permissions and he did run Onyx. He sent us a little email, of course, along with mm-hmm. this. So, uh, you know, I I don't know that it's permissions, but something stuck. Uh, Oh, I got one more. Okay, go ahead. Well, I got one more. The other thing I would try, and then this leads in nicely into what you're going to suggest, which I think is probably the best way to go about it. But one thing to try quickly, from what I have uh, heard, there is a choice in the Finder menu called Secure Empty Trash, dot, dot, dot. Yep. That's worth trying. Um, because yeah, so it, it uses a slightly different mechanism. I, I think what it's doing is it's actually overwriting the information as well. So maybe it has that extra oomph to get rid of this file, whereas the normal empty trash would not. However, that failing, then we break out the big guns, I think, Dave, and that, that's where you can uh, guide us through that. Right. So the terminal command that, you know, you were getting permission denied when running that terminal command, which likely means you were one step away from perhaps solving this problem. Uh, If you got permission denied, what it means is that the user as which you are running does not have permissions to modify the files you're trying to modify. But as we talked about in the command line that you're using, you're referencing your own home folder. So in theory, you should have access to the trash folder in your own home folder, and you should have permission to empty it. Uh, and delete the items in it because that's really what's happening when you move something to the trash on the Mac. It simply simply moves it to a hidden folder called dot trash with a capital T in your home folder. And then it sits there until you tell it to empty the trash, at which point it deletes all the stuff that's in that folder. So, uh, you know, the fact that you're getting a pro- you're having a problem in the finder emptying it and also having a problem permissions problem from the command line tells me that. Well, if only we could tell it ignore permissions and let me delete away, uh, you might solve the problem. And there's one, there's five characters you need to type before you type that command uh, bef- that you mentioned before or that we mentioned before, which is those five characters are S U D O space. S U D O tells the computer, I want to run the following command as a super user. And that's what it stands for S U do. Right. Super user do. So you type that and then it asks you for your password just to authenticate that you're really you because you're about to become super user. And uh, and as soon as you do that, then it executes this command with a fully privileged account. My guess is at that point, your problem is solved. Uh, But if that doesn't do it, 
then I would try doing exactly the same thing from the command line in single user mode. This is far too, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense to go through all the details here, but from a top level, and I'll post an article about this so that uh, you can reference it and it'll be linked from the show notes automatically. Actually, uh, <laughs> when you start up the machine, hold down command S that will bring you to a terminal. Uh, then you need to mount the drive. The re- at that point, your drive is only readable. It's not writable. So you need to change the, change the drive and make it writable. And then, uh, you go and remove your, uh, your trashes folder. But, uh, but we'll, there's some caveats to this, uh, First of all, home is not the same home because you're now root as opposed to your normal user. So you've got to you've got to dig in a little deeper. Uh, if you're comfortable with the command line, then you already know what I'm talking about. If you're not, wait to read the article because it'll make it much, much simpler. Uh, and of course, we sent this via email to Chuck. So he's already got the information. He's good to go. Uh, we do try to reply via email to well, to everybody, I was I was going to say, you know, in the main show, I, I we actually do try to reply via email to everyone. But I feel like if I said that in the uh, in the main show, I might get into trouble with a with a deluge of email. But of course, here in the premium show where uh, I, I can mm-hmm. say that. And uh, and there we go. So. Uh, so, yeah, we do try to reply via email. And, and this one we did we wrote, wrote all this up for Chuck. So there you go. Time to move on, John, or is there more? The last, the last thing I see here, he doesn't yeah. explicitly mention trying this. Uh, though I assume he did, but I don't want to. Is sometimes if you try to put something in the trash and get rid of it during that uh, user session or login, yep, somebody's probably still holding on to it. I've had this happen numerous times. Uh, he didn't uh, explicitly say he did a restart at any point in time. I mean, he says he did this and that. I'm going to assume that he did, but if not. Right. Uh, sometimes doing a restart uh, shuts everything down in the proper order so that the files will then either kind of go away by themselves or at least the next time you restart, you can, you can trash them. Yep. Uh, so I just want to cover that one specific case because because uh, I've seen it happen. I think you have too. if, if you get too, uh, <laughs> too uh, ambitious about trying to get rid of something right away. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. All right. Cool. Moving on to Joe. He writes about a year ago, I downloaded something that put the phases of the moon in my iCal calendar. I find it a lot of useless clutter, but I can't figure out how to get rid of them. So each month I manually delete them. I looked for something to delete in iCal, but I couldn't find it. How do I delete the phases of the moon? And he sent a screenshot through, which was infinitely helpful. What I noticed in the screenshot was that he had three calendars created in iCal uh, home and work, which are the default. And then one other that had nothing to do with the phases of the moon. Thankfully they were three different colors. And I could mm-hmm. see that the phases of the moon that were listed in his monthly calendar were all the same color as his home calendar. So what must have happened is Joe downloaded an ICS file, which is an, an iCal calendar data file. And when you mm-hmm. try to load one of these into iCal, you've probably seen this, John, you know, when you load one, uh, It comes up and asks you, it says, hey, you're trying to pull some data in. Do you want to add that to an existing calendar or do you want to create a new calendar? And presumably, Joe chose, yeah, add it to my home calendar. Sure. My my feeling on this is the more the merrier in terms of calendars. But let me let me organize my stuff. So anytime I pull I import something, 
I don't want to commingle it with data that actually means something to me because I don't know what the content. I mean, thank goodness this was filled with Moonface stuff and not 16 events every day for, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an ad for Viagra or something. Right. I mean, it could have been anything, uh, you know, depending on the source. Obviously, there's there's trust factors and all that. But still, you know, safer to put it into a new calendar. The other part that's good about putting it into a new calendar is when you want to go and delete it, you just delete the calendar or you could even you don't have to delete it. You could just uncheck it. So you could have a calendar named moon phases. You could have all this data in it and only see it when you want to see it by using the the, uh, checkbox toggle inside iCal. One step better than that is to subscribe to a moon phases calendar that someone else keeps up to date and uh iCalShare.com is a good place to start for this. You can also sync stuff to your Google Calendar. And this is really, really, really handy. I do it with, uh, actually, I think I do have the, a, a moon phase calendar that, uh, that I subscribe to. I have a holidays calendar that I subscribe to. I have the schedule for the New England Patriots that I subscribe to. And, and this stuff just magically appears on my calendar. Uh, and, and I don't have to edit it. And somebody keeps it up to date. And if there's a change, hopefully they move it. And, you know, I'm using a, an up to date source and then I'm good to go. And I don't have to think about it. But uh, but subscribing is cool. And iCalShare is a, is a cool place to start again. Google, Yahoo, uh, calendars, all of those have calendars you can subscribe to from within iCal as well. So and I think you've, you've got you get something to add, of course, John, right? Of course. Oh, I try. Um, I was actually surprised by this feature because. You know, iCal certainly has its shortcomings. I, I won't call it a bag of hurt quite yet. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> I know. Um, but one thing that surprised me, so I was thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to search through your iCal calendar or calendars and be able to delete things? And, you know, there is a way to do that, Dave. All right. If you go to the edit menu, find, and then a little find window appears in the upper right-hand corner of the main iCal screen. And for example, Dave, I put in MGG because, of course, you and I share a calendar. Okay. Uh, the schedules are podcasts. And lo and behold, on the bottom of the screen appeared a new window underneath the main calendar window. And anything that had the word MGG in it appeared, but it also had headings with the calendar color, which corresponds to which specific calendar it's on. Yep. Um, the time and date, the type, and the title. So I'm going to assume that things that have to do with the phase of the moon, well, I hope that they may not necessarily, would all have the word, you know, moon. Sure. <laughs> and and if, even if they didn't, you know, th- there's only four different phases, I think, that this calendar was showing. So you, maybe four searches right. and you're good to go. So, OK, yeah, keep going. Keep going. Well, then as far as I can tell, so when, then what you can do is do a multiple, you can select multiple entries in this. For example, one thing that's you know, pretty standard in any application. You click on one thing, and then if you want to select a range, you click on the other and you hold down shift, and this works fine, or you could just click and drag or whatever you want to do. Right. And then at that point, I looked at the edit menu, and delete is there, and I'm not going to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't delete, because I don't see that, because that, that's a shared calendar between you and me. If right. You delete it. Now, neither one of, that, that'll be it. That This will be the last show ever. That's right, if you do that. Cause we yeah, so I guess to be... So the good news is that the find feature and by extension, the delete feature uh, looks to be put together. So, you know, when you create events, think when you name them so you can do something like this. Of course, Dave put put a lot of thought into this thinking, let's call it MGG. Right. (laughs) And that works for me. Um, 
the other thing oh yeah if you want to do uh, i noticed this the other day and i thought it was really handy it was kind of quirky but um iStat menus their calendar component does have the phases of the moon that's true yeah <laughs> i noticed that the other day it had like waxing gibbon some something weird maybe it was, it was waxing or waning something or other uh yeah. it has like the proper terms which may be hard to find yeah yeah no oh i'm sorry waxing gibbous is coming up is the next phase in the moon in my neck of the woods all right i think it's all of us right i mean well yeah i think you and i are close enough where we probably see the same thing john i think everybody on earth sees the same moon phase you think so yeah i'm hmm. pretty sure about that you sure yeah uh-huh. uh, i don't think so no not not if you're on the uh, north or south pole okay <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice backpedal. That was okay. (laughs) Okay. That was good. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to move us on to Jed now. Jed says, I was in the middle of listening to your latest episode and had to pause because I've been meaning to ask this question for a while, not in a snarky way, but more just for discussion's sake. Why in the world do you guys continue to pay for mobile me? Dropbox is a better file backup. And I know you're using it for your documents. You probably could put your Jimba data out there too. And I do. Uh, he says, Google's a better calendar sync. And I agree. IMAP for email sync. I agree. And you can host photo and web pages through Dropbox. And I agree. Uh, he, Jed says, I dropped mobile me a while ago, but wondering what makes it worthwhile for you all. And then of course he adds on that, uh, I bought a power line adapter based on your advice in previous podcasts. And thank you. It makes things a lot better for my networking needs. Couldn't possibly imagine living without power line now, but, uh, so mobile me, the big one for me and, and uh, you know, John, as we were, it was, we were doing the pre-show, you mentioned another, a couple other reasons for mobile me that made me think, Oh yeah, I couldn't live without those either. But the big one for me, you're right. I've replaced mobile me for my calendar because uh, the, the calendar syncing sucked before they moved on to this new uh, uh, CalDAV thing, which, which frankly I haven't really even had an opportunity to try properly yet, but, uh, but Google calendar syncing works fantastic. Uh, obviously, IMAP for email is great. Dropbox is so much better than iDisk because Dropbox just syncs a real folder on my Mac as opposed to doing that whole disastrous disk image thing. Uh, and uh, and I don't do any photo or web hosting with with either. So I don't really that doesn't factor in. But the one big thing and Google will do this, but it's not as good is the address book syncing. I love having the ability to sync my address book between my Mac and my iPhone. And while I could use Google as the, as the middle ground there, it only syncs a maximum of three phone numbers or three email addresses per person. While for 90% of the people I have in my address book, that's enough for some it's not. And the other thing was it only syncs non or, or only standard phone number types. So if I've, for example, added a Google voice type, which I have, that won't sync no matter what. It doesn't even sync it and call it like work two or something. It just won't sync, even if it's the only phone number for someone. So uh, I tried using Google as the as the address book sync, but I couldn't do it. So that's that's what's kept me with Mobile Me. But John, go ahead and uh, and remind us all of all the other great things that uh, that Mobile Me does. Yeah, some of the other things I like, and other people offer these, and sometimes they go away. But for example, right. bookmarks is nice. Yes. Now, there was recently a company, uh, the name escapes me. X Marks. X Marks, who, uh, well, I guess it's debatable whether they are actually going to go away because there's apparently been a groundswell of support to keep them because okay. they're a nice cross-browser, I think, cross-platform solution for that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you covered the contacts, uh, keychains. I like that too. Oh, yeah, couldn't live without that. Yeah, because uh, yeah, when you probably want your security information uh, synchronized across all the computers you use. Right. Freeze of login and all that. Uh, what else do I see here? Well, the, the, all right. The well, big, I'm, I'm looking at the syncing features, and I think I covered the one that's most important to me. Um, the big one that you mentioned, find yeah. my iPhone or find my iPod or find my oh, iPad. Huge, yeah, it's on my list. Huge. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I never lose my phone. Twice in the past week, I've had to resort to using find my iPhone to find it. Once it was like it had fallen out and was in the couch cushions. Another time it was just somewhere else. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So that's a great one. Of course, it uses GPS on the iPhone and it, it does an approximation, which I found is pretty accurate. If you have a iPod touch. Oh, I don't even use the GPS. I, I mean, for these, I just had it, you know, I sent the oh. beacon to it. and Oh, it beeps. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or makes a noise or something. But Pilot yeah. Pete was telling me uh, he found his iPhone. He, he dropped it in a parking lot and he used the GPS to triangulate exactly where in the lot the thing was. And he drove back there and sure enough, there it was. So big deal it is a big deal uh some of the other things i do like the web dev compliant iDisk, and they actually offer a uh, client for windows people to do that but you uh, any computer that supports web dev you can get at it so that's nice why do you why 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 is that better uh, and i'm not i'm not asking that in a snarky way or at least not well yet. no web web dev is just a standard uh, so i'm contrasting it to something like dropbox and the dropbox is not a web dev compliance service it's very useful and it does some things that WebDAV doesn't, but, sure. but um, I'm saying in the context of it being a standards-based offering, it's uh, they're not it's they're not. certainly not the only one, but right. but it is, you know, based on WebDAV. So so but, almost Okay, so the, I get that it's a standard. Why is it in in what functional way for a user is that better? And that's what I'm just having trouble understanding. Oh, um you do not need any special software to access a WebDAV volume. Okay. Then you can get at it through the browser. Typically, you just—it's a URL, literally. And I can get to Dropbox from the browser. Well, assuming you install the Dropbox. Uh, no, I can go. No, to you're you're absolutely to correct. Dropbox.com, and I can get things. Yes. I can download things from there and manage everything. Right. WebDAV makes it so that it you know appears to be just another network volume. Ah. So. Uh, okay. Okay. Right. Well, Dropbox That's is true. close. I mean, you have a Dropbox folder in your sidebar and all yep. that. But um. Yep. And, it, you know, it's easier to get through firewalls and all that fun stuff. So, OK, no, but I agree. Dropbox is uh, it, it's nice backup storage. If I need to store something or, you know, if you're traveling from one place to another and you maybe can't lug the computer with you, but you want documents or something and be, right. be able to access them on the other side without having to worry about having any specific software. But um, right. Right. Now, find my iPhone, you know, the, 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 the more I think about that, I mean, you know, it's great for tracking friends and family. I mean. Absolutely. Oh, maybe family, maybe not friends. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. AT and T charges ten bucks a month for that. So you know, there you go. Uh, that'll pay for your uh, for your mobile me right there. So yeah, that's why that's why we use it. You know, the one additional reason, uh, as this question came in, and really it was the first thing that I thought of was, well, it, even if I could replace all of that, as long as Apple is offering mobile me. I've got to keep it just because we cover this stuff and, and you know, we want to, we want to have familiarity with the products so that when your questions come in, we've got at least some, some ability to test things and the working knowledge. So, so that, you know, it, above all else, there you go. Apple kind of, you know, forces our hand at that. I mean, they don't force our hand. We forced our own hand by getting yeah. into this business. There's one thing I miss, which is every now and then they toss you a little special software goodie. And I think they still have a folder that's part of your iDisc called software. Yeah. And every once in a blue moon, like I think the last thing they put in there was the uh, backup utility. 
I don't think it's a big part of mobile me anymore, but they used to, you know, add a couple of bonuses like that, like backup, I think is, is only really available mm-hmm. if you have a mobile me subscription. Yeah. But, uh, they kind of backed off on offering you any, any extra software goodies last I checked anyways. Right. Right. All right. Moving on to Pierre. Pierre says, I have a question on iTunes. My default podcast preferences for iTunes are to delete podcasts once they have been listened to. I change it for specific podcasts if I do want the program to auto delete. My question is that the default behavior does not seem to work and it's very annoying as I have to delete podcasts manually. I've tried unsubscribing and resubscribing to podcasts, but that did not seem to help. Not a major problem, but would eliminate a minor annoyance. Okay, so here's and I think I've got some other thoughts on this, too, John, but uh, but I'll start with what I emailed back to Pierre. My settings uh, that way. So what he's talking about is you go into iTunes, you click on podcasts on the left side, and then at the bottom, there's a little settings button uh, and you click on settings and then it will come up and it'll say check for new podcasts in the little window and you can pick every day, every hour, every week or manually. And then below that is settings for and then you can choose from a drop down any of your individual podcasts or at the top is podcast defaults. So I think what Pierre is talking about is he has it set to when new episodes are available, download all and episodes to keep all unplayed episodes that would presumably delete episodes that are that have been played. Uh, and and then and so, you you know, you could say, uh, you know, if you want it to keep everything, you change it to all episodes. So the first thing I would try is take a look at some of the podcasts that have not been getting deleted and make sure that the use default settings box in that same window is checked. Uh, I'm guessing you've already headed down that path, Pierre, but just for the sake of the show here, that's, that's one thing. Uh, If that is the case, then try setting your defaults to something else and then changing them back just to kind of force the preferences to switch around. That, that would be kind of step number two. The other thing to consider, and I noticed this for myself, sometimes I'll get to the end of a podcast and, you know, the outro music is playing or whatever. I've listened to the show, but I haven't, as far as iTunes or my iPod is concerned, I have not gotten all the way to the end where it then jumps to the next podcast. And it's only when you get to the end that iTunes marks it internally as having been played. And I wonder if that's the uh, if that's the issue here. So uh, and the other thing to mention is that it will only process when it checks. So if you have it set to check manually, uh, then you have to force a check. You have to force a refresh on all your podcasts, have it go out and see if new ones are available for download. That's the point in time when iTunes is going to comb through and delete anything that's been played. So that that's my experience anyway. I don't know if you have anything to uh, to add here, John. <laughs> You know, I've been looking for this as you were talking and where do you set the defaults? Okay. So you're in, is it within that dialogue yes. in the settings dialogue? Okay. So it's kind of a, all right. If you have the checkbox checked or unchecked, is no, that? No, well, yes. Or? But if you where it says settings for, and it probably says like Mac geek cab or, or the Mac observers, Mac geek cab, right? Yeah. I got to cut back on that. Okay. Change. <laughs> Good. So change, click on right next to settings for click on the little drop down and go all the way to the top of it. You should have an option that says podcast defaults. Yes. Wait, where in preferences? Hold on. In in iTunes. 
Yeah, yeah. Go again. You know, there's nothing worse than trying to talk a knowledgeable computer person through something because you know that they're clicking on stuff that you haven't told them to click on. Because there's no that's, way that you would. That's have what I was me. doing. You, there's no way you would ask me what are you talking about if we'll you get back to it. Clicked on the stuff. So anyway, in podcasts, you go down and you click on settings at the bottom, right? Uh huh. And you get a little window up that says podcast settings. The first item is check for new episodes, right? And you get a time time thing, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good. Yeah, I'm there. Okay. Below that, it says settings four, and then there's a drop down list. That- ah, podcast defaults. There it is. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's kind of buried in there. No, I was looking in it the pref- I was looking in the the uh, official preferences in the got iTunes it. menu. Got it. And I didn't see anything there. Okay, got well, that's it. a good one because yeah, I didn't didn't really know how that got there. Yeah, and it is cool. Uh, you know, for me, I actually have it set to only keep three episodes of most podcasts. But uh, but again, there are some that I want to not use that default epi- the default setting and maybe keep everything or only keep one or keep five or you know whatever I want to do. So, uh, so yeah, it's handy. It's, it's a little, it's a little tedious if you have more than a couple of podcasts to go through and edit this way, but it is nice uh, that this even exists at all because for a while you only had one global setting for everything. And that was, that was unworkable for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Good one. Uh, You know, in the last, I want to address this actually in the last premium show, uh, we asked you what your thoughts were on having advertising in the show. And, uh, I wasn't going to play. We got a ton of comments. I would say all, but we got a lot of comments from you people. Thank you so much. Uh, all, but about two of you were, were on the same page as, as Ken here. Uh, in fact, I'll play Ken's comment and then, and then we'll comment a little bit on, and then we'll move on to, uh, to Jerry. Uh, hey, John and Dave, it's Ken from Kailua. Uh, you asked how we, uh, felt about, uh, putting ads into the premium show and I just wanted to say that for me uh, while normally ads are a pain in the ass and a distraction um, I find your ads very helpful now by now I'm familiar with most of your sponsors but especially when you get a new sponsor or an update that you're describing what it can do that it didn't do before uh, I find that very helpful Um, so others might not agree with me but I'd be happy to have uh, your ads uh, at least the kind that you're generally doing in the premium show. Um, okay. Uh, take care. I hope I'll see you this year at Macworld if I can get up to scratch to get there. Aloha. Thanks, Ken. So, yeah, it, you know, the, all, all the responses were, were or most of the responses were along those lines, or uh, even adding to that, that really you folks, in addition to, or, or perhaps even more importantly, then wanting the extra content that of course we're doing for you with these premium shows, you just want to support us and, and, and in whatever, in whatever way possible. And if that means uh, hearing another ad or so in the premium show, more power to us, it's humbling. I have to say, John and I, we talked about this over dinner at, at uh, blog world expo this past weekend. And, and it really is, it's, it, there's nothing more to say except thank you. Uh, we have no immediate plans to put ads in this show. I really we brought this up because, frankly, you folks had brought it up to us, and I wanted to get a larger sample size uh, before we made any decisions at all. Uh, obviously, we know what the answer is now. There are, again, no immediate plans to make any changes here, but, um, but, but thank you for taking the time to reply and send in your thoughts, and, and thank you for, for wanting to support what we do here. John and I... I, I'll get a little emotional here. We love what we do, right? Well, we've done this for five and a half. Oh, absolutely. Years. 
And, and it's, it, we love it, but even more than that, we love how much you love it and how much you respond to what we do. And it, it's the thing that if, if otherwise I wouldn't be driven to do the show, it would be the thing that would mm-hmm. drive me to do the show, but I do it anyway because we love it. So thank you. It, it means a lot. It really does. Yeah. Now, so, something I think we want to explore and I'll just mention it, Dave. I thought it's a big shocker, but some people have also asked for a way to spontaneously make a contribution. I'm not sure where we'll cut this in, but just in case we leave this part, what I'll say is John brought up something that surprised me. So we took this offline for uh, for a couple of minutes to talk about because we've well, go ahead. We've never talked about this before other than to avoid having the option to do it. But but things have changed now that we have the premium uh, option here, John. So go ahead and, and, and reintroduce your thought. Well, the, the thought, and it wasn't just my thought, but it was no. some people who have written in on, on Times Correct. would say, and I totally understand this, they're like, you know, I'm not willing to make a long-term commitment, even though I personally think it's reasonably priced. You may get someone who's not willing to make a long-term commitment or doesn't have the time for the premium subscription. Now, of course, you know, you can pay the money and never listen to it. That's sure. just kind of a waste. But, but the other thing I was thinking well, of, Dave... Yeah, but it's not if, you, if your goal is to... If your primary goal is, is to support right. us, as some of you are. Uh, you know, there are many, many of you that have emailed in and said, yeah, I don't necessarily listen, but I just want to keep supporting you guys because I like what you do. So, right. Yeah, and then ahead. the thought that I think would, would be between the sponsored show and the premium show is... And we've had people mention this, saying... You know, there's a time when maybe I I had that one show that was a real gem and I got this tip that really saved me money and time. And you know what? I I feel like that's worth $20 just this once uh, for whatever reason. You know, I don't want to do the premium, but I'm thinking the ability to make a one time contribution again, just for this situation and to kind of put you in in between uh, maybe something we want to explore. I, I don't know if. I don't know know if there, it's just another option to, to offer a different level of support. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, again, we had, we had avoided this before we had the premium option and and I'll tell you why Uh, the reason is, and and again, John's right. This isn't John's idea. This is your idea. Uh, We had a lot of you that said, I want to find a way to support the show. And even though we didn't give you a way, you guys got creative at Christmas time. There would be Amazon gift cards, you know, that that came into John and I, it was Mm -hmm. hugely, you know, Again, very humbling. So we had avoided this because we knew in the backs of our minds, some someday, somewhere we are going to potentially do this premium thing. And what I don't want to do is have the guy that, like you said, John, decides I want to donate 20 bucks. And then two weeks later, we roll out some premium thing. And now we're asking that same guy for more money by surprise. Right. He didn't know that there was this other option to begin with. And that's why when you brought this conversation up today, I put the brakes on the show. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. We avoided talking about this for or offering mm-hmm. this for so long. But then as, as we discussed, well, now it's like you said, it's not a, there's no surprise. It's just, Hey, if you want to do it, here you go. Here's how you do it. So, okay. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll set up a tip jar. It's not there now, but, uh, but it, that's we'll, what I'm thinking. Tip yeah. jar. And as long as it's not complicated to yep. integrate into the website and back end, and I'm sure there are, you know, services that that'll offer a way to do that. Oh yeah, PayPal has it. We can uh, okay. And, and PayPal was a pain in the neck for the subscriptions for a lot of reasons, but for, <laughs> right. for the tip jar, makes perfect sense. So, yeah, all right, I'll, we'll set that up. It's going to take a couple of days, uh, probably because I'm uh, life's, no. life's crazy here. But uh, but we'll you know we'll mm-hmm. we'll have it set up. So yeah, there you go. Okay, uh, now it's really time to move on to to Jerry. 
Cherry writes, I have a, just up your alley, John, I have a dual core G5 Power Mac Tower with lots of fans, nine, nine I believe. Uh, John has a similar model. He says, I believe mine has a two gigabytes per core, I'm told, uh, and a one terabyte hard drive. Three gigs of RAM and two gigabytes, two gigahertz per core, I think is what he's trying to say. Uh but anyway, yes. uh, three gigs of RAM and a one terabyte hard drive. Yes, that's got to be what it is. Often when I start up the Mac, it powers up all the fans and goes into a deep sleep, which necessitates my having to hold down the power button and shut the Mac off. Then I need to do a restart and all seems okay. This happens when I have scheduled startup at 5 a.m. So I must leap out of bed to turn off this racket and then do a restart. I should say that the Mac won't go to sleep anymore since I added a PCI X card for extra firewire and USB ports. Only the screen will shut off. Could all this be related? Do I need to upgrade to an Intel? Uh, I really like this desktop a lot, but it uses a lot of power and generates enough heat to heat up the small room that it's in. Gosh, you get that better than a wood stove. Uh, I love your show and listen to Yeah, Okay. Uh, thank you, Jerry. Very much. Very, very much. All right, John, go ahead. You, you're the you're you're the expert. I think I know what the problem is. So, so yeah, first off, I think the machine he's talking about is a Power Mac G5 dual two gigahertz. It actually wasn't a dual core machine. It was actually two processors right? Uh, back in the day. And I think I found, though it took some digging. So I remember, Dave, at one, when, when I heard him talk about fans spinning up, that reminds me of firmware. Oh. And actually, during the firmware update in many Macs, or if you're talking the MacBook Pro or you know the Intel machines, the SMC, yeah, which I think is roughly the equivalent. Uh, sometimes when they do the update, it spins up the fans to maximum. I still have no idea why they do this. Maybe it's just you know to help exercise them. But then I thought, oh, let's look on my computer. And of course, now with you know, even though it's leopard, and I search with Spotlight and I search for firmware update, and I found. On here now. Oddly enough, I wasn't able to find it immediately searching through uh, Google uh, or Apple support site. But once I did a search for this term, so I found a little program I had in my utilities folder. I think Dave called Power Mac G5 Firmware Update 5.1.4. Okay. Uh, so I have a link to that specific file. I don't know if he's applied it. Now, how would you know if you've applied it, Dave? I'm going to tell you. You want to go to about this Mac, more info, and under hardware. You're going to see an entry on this class of machine called boot ROM version. And just to be clear, that that process you you described accurately, I might add, opens system profiler. So yes. it's, it's in the hardware section of system profiler. Go ahead. Right. And there's a line item called boot ROM version. And in my case, it's 5.1.4 F as in Frank zero, which I guess is final zero. So. My machine's been updated. He should check there and make sure he has 514, which as far as I know is the latest version for this machine. But then let me read you the description of what this update does, Dave. And I think it certainly couldn't hurt and may help. It said, this firmware update provides changes for initializing and running your Power Mac G5. It provides some performance improvements for some PCI X configurations. Ho, ho, ho. Patches a security hole and improves fan behavior in open firmware. Now, you know, that's real funny, Dave. I'm, I'm just going to say he mentioned PCI X and he mentioned fans. And this firmware update seems to have something to do with both of those. And you know how Apple words this. I mean, they said performance improvements for some PCI X. Yeah. I'm going to assume that means, whoops, we don't handle some PCI X cards properly. Likewise, improves fan behavior in that it doesn't spin at... Right. You know, 50,000 RPM. (laughs) We're we're not going to admit that there was previously a problem, but it's way better now. 
They've improved it. Yeah. That's right. So I see improvements for both of those things. So that's going to be my guess in this situation. Um, the other one, this class of machine has the uh, circular 3.6 battery, something maybe getting corrupted in there what uh-huh. would be the second place to look because this machine's getting old and I think I've replaced that battery uh, at least once. Okay. Now, usually the, the symptom of it not working right is, you know, things like trying to power up from the keyboard doesn't work. And of course, you lose the date and all that stuff there. But, um, you know, can't hurt to, to replace that battery. Or just check the voltage on it. Because okay. I, I remember this thing does some strange things when that battery runs down. So, blast from the past. But yes, I've, I've been through it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's, what do you think? Should we do Jason or move on to one of the uh, other ones below? I, I like Jason's question. All right, cool. We'll do, we'll do Jason. And maybe we'll talk about uh, what Apple, what Apple talked to us about yesterday. Uh, Jason writes, I have a content question. And since you've been the answer guys for me, for so many things, so many other things, many other times, you were the first to come to my mind. Uh, I'm trying to set up a website for my father on the side. He's in the education sector and is approaching retirement and would like to find an alternative way to share his ideas, lessons learned, and even bits and pieces of his dissertation with others in his field. Herein lies the problem. I know his dissertation is covered by copyright via the school he graduated from, but what about any other idea he puts out on the web? Things that he might later want to try and publish. He has nearly 40 years of experience and is sought after for his expertise. All that is currently in his head. The reason I'm asking you this is there's a lot of rich material on MacObserver.com, and I'm sure you have a way of protecting that material from just being copied in physical form, like later publishing it as a mag- magazine article. After listening to your podcast uh, from episode 30 something, uh, I've become the go-to tech answer guy myself, so I'm a really strong believer in online and podcast education. That's awesome. Uh, that said, I don't want to see my father give away his hard-earned life experience with other educators only to see someone else put it all down first in magazine article or book and my father not have any safeguards. I guess my question then is, how do you guys have open dialogue and share information via online and podcast while also protecting your own ideas? All right. Um, I'm not an attorney. I love to play one, but, uh, but I'm not an attorney that said I've, I've paid a, a lot of attorneys, a lot of money over the years hmm. to, to learn, uh, a lot of these lessons and to, and to figure out a lot of these protections. The, the, the first thing to understand, and, and please, if, if any, you think I'm, we get this wrong as always with, with anything we say here, please correct us. Uh, but the way I understand it, anything that you create or your father creates and truly creates on, on your own is yours. And you automatically have a copyright for that. Now that doesn't mean it's a registered copyright, but it means that it's a copyright. And if you can prove uh, that you had it before someone else, well then you can lay claim to that. The process of registering a copyright uh, allows you to have something on file with the copyright office with the government that says, hey, yeah, look, here it is. We've got it. We can agree that he sent it to us on such and such a date and, uh, you know, yada, yada. Now, obviously, going out and copywriting every single article that we publish every day uh, would be impractical because it would cost a lot of money and we'd have to just employ someone that did nothing but file copyrights all day long. But uh, so we don't. We just put on the site that it is copyright, the Mac Observer Inc. And there you go. And we have had to defend some uh content infringement stuff over the years and it's worked out fine. You know, Google 
acts as a web there. Well, there's the Google and then there's uh there's a, the web archive and, and all of that stuff that sort of acts in your defense, right? Cause it shows, Oh yeah, this stuff existed here before it existed anywhere else. And you know, it all kind of adds up and, and there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Now there, there is creative commons out there at creativecommons.org. And if you go to creativecommons.org slash choose, you can, you can put, you can create a, the, the, their whole concept there is building a more flexible copyright system where you can say, Hey, yeah, I want to retain the rights to this, but I'm okay. If you share it for non-commercial use and you uh, either can edit it or can't edit it. And as long as there's an attribution, this is okay. There's all these different parameters. And if you go to slash choose at creativecommons.org, uh, you can build a little thing and, and then post that on your website and say, hey, here's my license. And if you want to learn more about it, click on it and read. And you can tell people exactly what you've told them or you've granted them. Uh, they can or can't do. So, uh, you know, a full copyright is you reserve basically all rights. Creative Commons lets you selectively uh, release certain rights without giving up others. Uh, and it and, and, and it's a, it's good stuff. So. Uh, so there you go. That that that's my part of this, John. I think you've got, as always, some stuff to add. Well, a little bit. So I was looking around online, and that this resonates with what I know already. So I I think as was mentioned, the the best way it, you don't explicitly need to put copyright on something in order for it to be protected, but it certainly can't hurt. I just looked at that online, and, and, and it sounds reasonable. But just so there's no question, whatever you have, put a copyright on it, and, and that will strengthen the protection. It's not like you don't get it if you don't have it. Yep. Um, the only other thing that comes to mind, Dave, is that there is this kind of gray area uh, called fair use, and, and we sure. do it as well. Um, sure. I, I think almost any publication, you are allowed to take snippets of something, and with uh, attribution, I guess, if, if you properly indicate the source of it, then that's fair use and you're not breaking any copyright laws. So people take snippets of the work and quote it, then that's okay. If they take the whole darn thing, word for word, and the thing I wanted to mention is that, I, you know, it's almost trivial now with Google, or at least, you know, I know a lot of teachers, and I think this is where, uh, you know, this gets into, is not so much copyright violation, but um, plagiarism. Sure. <laughs> is that it's so easy if the teachers spend the time, or they have some automated systems. I, I found a thing on Wikipedia, which is, it, it, there's a whole category called plagiarism detection, and, you know, I'll link to that. And you, you can see the tools out there. But, you know, Google itself, I mean, put something in quotes and search Google for it, and if you find it online, then that's a pretty strong sign that, you know, somebody ripped off the work. Um. But other than that, text, it's really hard to, to protect that. Now, some things I'll mention, Dave, like one, images. Now, that's a little, little easier if your ideas are in a graphical format because there are ways to hide information in them. Right. Uh, some of these, uh, I mean, you can explicitly put a big stamp on there, but of course, someone can just crop it. Uh, um, but Digimark, there, there's a plug-in by a company called Digimark that will embed this unseen uh, digital watermark in an image and you can use that to try to track it and, and see if people are ripping off so, so thinking about expressing your stuff if it makes sense graphically may make sense and use a tool like this also you can bury stuff in the exif data in a picture a lot of pictures have uh, additional payload that's not displayed but is information about it and hey you know put your name or whatever in there uh, because uh, people may not strip it out and that that may help as well and then there are tools that we like one thing we discussed dave and they actually have a uh, Safari extension 
I was trying to remember the right word. Extension, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, called Tenai, which is a uh, image tracker. And it's not all-encompassing, but I've used it a few times and, and have been surprised where images, either ones that I've created or ones that others have created, where they end up. It is interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 Audio, I'm not so sure, Dave. I think there is a way to do the same thing. Finger, or maybe not so much fingerprint, but I think there are audio search tools that can... I mean, I know there's one that lets you sample music and it'll tell you who right, you know, the, right. the, the, the artist is. And I think by extension, some of the online services will use that to crawl their sites for you know, content that violates copyright. Because you know, if the, the sound signature matches, then you assume that it's, it's being ripped off. Yep. Cool. Um, that's... Yeah, it, 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 it's tough. I mean, there's this balance. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, my guess is, especially if your father's in a specialized field, he'll he'll be aware if someone tries to rip him off. I, I mean, my my guess is it's not that he's got to go out and hunt all day. It's that if he finds something where someone has ripped him off, that that he has some protection. And, and the reality is he has for that protection out of the gate mm. and there are things mm-hmm. you can do to strengthen it. And, and obviously we've just gone through those. So, all right. So on to Apple's uh, announcement yesterday, they had their back to my Mac event. Um, I think uh, for the purposes of this discussion, I, I would propose that we skip talking about iLife. Uh, I've got my copy on the way. I would much rather wait to talk about that. Until, oh, me too. Until we've actually used it. So uh, oh, I have some disappointments, Dave. Okay. And then we'll move on. Okay. They didn't. Uh, did you notice what they didn't update, Dave? What didn't they update? They I, didn't update iWeb or iDVD. Now, I don't care so much about iDVD. The last I used it, which was recently, I, I think I told the story about transcoding a flash video and burning it. Very nice. Uh, I personally don't see any need to enhance the features of that. But I had done a lot of work with iWeb. I used it to publish my photos. And, and it integrates nicely with the other iApps. But it has some serious shortcomings. And, and I'm surprised that they didn't even touch it. So, um I think that's all I'll say. The, the other thing that occurred to me about the iLife demo, if you watch the uh, event, is, boy, that took way too long. Come on, guys. Move on. Uh, you, you know, uh, I think, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how to say this. Uh, Apple has a lot of people, there are a lot of people who use Macs for whom iLife is the center of their creative world. Okay. Not all of iLife, but, but certain aspects of it. Of course, a lot of people, iPhoto, you know, there's a sizable population of GarageBand users and, and these are the driving forces behind why people buy Macs. So to go through a demo, you know, remember, I mean, they, they went through three different pieces of software, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and so, you know, to take 10 minutes on each one, as opposed to thinking of it as 30 minutes on a suite, is it is, makes it slightly better. I felt the same way as you did as we got to the end, you know, it's we're 45 minutes into this thing. They spent the first 15 telling us how great Apple is. And then, and then we spent 30 minutes regurgitating all of this stuff about, about iLife. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's an important thing in their minds to get out to people. I really, I, I, I do, I, you know, again, so, so anyway, yeah. Uh, Moving on to the, the to the other stuff, unless there's more about iLife, like I said, no, no, we're no. Better off. Okay, good. Facetime, no Facetime for the Mac. Uh, hey, it works. We and, tried it, and it's about time. Uh, you know, it, it it amazed me that it wouldn't work with iChat for you know since the day it was released. But hey, that's cool. There's some security issues with it. We'll uh, 
We'll link to those. The, the biggest one is that once you authenticate with your Apple account, you can just go mm-hmm. anybody with that physical access to your machine can go into FaceTime and uh, and and make changes to your password or see your security yeah. questions and all that. That's not so good. They got to fix that. No. So FaceTime was welcome. And I wonder if it's, it's going to spell the end of um, iChat, at least the video portion, or they'll just let them coexist. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I think they'll bake FaceTime into iChat yeah. is, is what, what I think will happen. Yeah, they probably didn't have, have time to do it. Yeah, And then, of course, the next thing they, they announced, Dave, well, well two things. Uh, I'll, I'll pick one, if that's yeah, okay with go, you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I'll pick the one. Uh, again, I'm in a cranky mood right now, but um, Lion. Okay. Now, similar, similar to the iLife thing, I think, Dave, this was meant uh, for a different audience. Yep. I mean, you know me. I, I want to know about the nuts and bolts. I want to know about things like OpenCL and 64-bit and 128-bit and AltaVec. You know. You're coming to WWDC next year, right? I, I think I, I almost have to now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, pretty much you just laid it down. That's right. <laughs> but what's important to... Uh, so the features that they mentioned, it, and once I looked at how he presented what we like about these things and also tied it into the next thing, of course, which was the uh, computer. But still, to talk about Lion, none of those features were uh, earth-shattering technical breakthroughs, okay, that people have been asking for. These are usability things or iDevice things that they're going to bake into right? Um, what they're going to call the Mac. <laughs> well, we'll continue to be the Mac. Um, that was kind of my take on it. I, I think it'll take a little more time for them to figure out exactly what they're going to do underneath the covers or, you know, that, that'll be a, a different audience. Um, yeah. Lion. Yeah. And, you know, is this going to be the, uh, the, the final version? So not, not too much thrilling with that, but it did, you know, so one thing that also uh, I noticed, uh, so we're not going to beat the financials to death, but it still impresses me, uh, although I know they crossed this point a while ago, Dave. I mean, one thing in the history of Apple, once they crossed over from making more than half of their revenue through things that weren't computers, to me, that's, and I think we're seeing it in other parts of the keynote uh, that he gave here. The, the nature of what the company does is definitely changing. I mean, now, so you saw the definition, one-third from computers means they're getting two-thirds of the revenue from anything that's not a Mac. So, uh, you know, will that number continue to shrink? I don't know. And then the other thing that shocked me, though, was the uh, market share. Uh, that figure is always open to fudging and all that. But I was shocked that it was 20%. That's that's huge. My yeah. goodness. I mean, I remember single digits and not that long. I, I, I was actually surprised that it's that high. I mean, oh, my gosh. They're ma- now, again, I, I think they took a very specific sliver. I think it was consumer retail Correct. market share. Correct. That's right. So it's that's not like right. global market share everywhere. But still, that's an impressive figure. Um, so, so I'm happy. And I wish they issue a dividend with that big pile of dough, Dave. That would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> but they needed to be innovative. But then the next thing, and uh, I'll let you comment on this. I, I, I'm sure you have some comments, but the uh, the new uh, the new airs, I think, uh, spell it. Oh, no, you're, sk- you're, skipping, you're skipping something nope. that I think is actually kind of important, which nope. is the Mac right. App Store. So, oh, all right. Part of Lion, sure. So, so well, but it's not part of Lion. It, it has, they, they introduced it as Oh, I'm sorry. It will be for. For Snow Leopard. Snow Leopard and, Le- okay. Yeah. Yeah, so oh. it'll, be, it'll be Snow Leopard in three months or less, right? So by pr- presumably by the end of the year, this thing's open. And if you haven't seen the demo, uh, it is very, very similar to the iTunes or iOS app store. You navigate through and you find the uh, the stuff that you want to buy and you buy it. 
the one big difference out of the gate is that it's not the only way you're allowed to put stuff on your Mac. It is simply another option. Now, I'm sure Apple would love it to be the only way you put stuff on your Mac because they just like that control. But uh, that's not going to go over all that well out of the gate. Can't. However, oh, they could. Don't say can't. Don't tell no, them. <laughs> not not with the current version of Mac OS 10. Correct. Yes. they. I-O-S, perhaps. Right. Right. Or a future version of Mac OS 10. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing is, you know, even though it's not an exclusive thing, my guess is that, and my prediction is that by this time next year, 95% of the people who use Macs will buy all their apps from the Mac app store. Uh, now I don't mean that to say that, that 95% of all apps sold. I said 95% of the people, I think there's a lot of people out there that don't buy many apps. They buy the things that they need and then they kind of just roll and they don't, you know, they don't, they aren't, they aren't part of our club here, right? They don't, they don't care about default folder and, and iStat menus and, and all of that stuff that adds functionality that Apple won't sell you in the app store. In fact, those two apps I mentioned, I pulled them out of a hat here as I'm just talking, but, but they, they go against the rules for the app store. You can't modify the user interface. So, uh, so there will be a lot of stuff that is available for sale outside of the app store. However, uh, I, I, most people that own Macs don't buy that stuff. So I think it'll probably be about, it'll, I think it'll be more than half of app sales for the Mac. But, uh, but I think, you know, a, vast majority of the people that own Macs will buy all their apps from that app store. So, and I think that's a big deal for companies like accelerate and Kaji, all these, you know, electronic distributors, uh, because you know, this is going to cut into their business, uh, at least on the Mac side. Um, yeah, there's some concerns that I have. So one is that if it's going to be like the app store, then I think it almost certainly is going to incorporate some form of DRM. Oh, right. well, it does incorporate DRM. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just I'm just uh, pointing out some of the potential downsides of this is that people may not like or they may not care, just like with the App Store. But people that are people may not want that. Now, it sounds like they now, have some sort you, of man- let me tell you about the DRM because they explained this yesterday. It, it is DRM. Mm-hmm. And by DRM, of course, what we mean is it's, it stands for digital rights management. But what it means is you can't copy the software. So it's Apple's own copy protection but they will allow you just like you can with the songs you download and the apps that you download for your iOS devices is that you will be able to share the apps that you download for your Mac amongst all of your computers. So any computer that's linked to your iTunes account will have the ability to run those apps. So that's how the DRM is going to work. Just, just like with iTunes and music. Correct. You can have a certain number of authorized machines and okay. So assuming that doesn't have any hiccups, then, uh, that should be okay. Now, what struck me from a, because, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, I'm a Apple stockholder. What struck me is very clever, and I think it works out great for everybody, Dave, similar to how I think it worked out for music, is, you know, say, for example, I decide to run a software company. Well, you know, I'm going to have a rough time, Dave, selling software without going broke because, I mean, there's all these upfront costs. There's marketing and shipping and distribution and, and advertising and all that. I don't want to deal with all that. And in this case, Apple, I think what they're going to do is they said, you know what? We'll take 30% and we'll do all this for you. I'm going to stop Apple right there because you you listed four things. And this is a common amateur or, or, or newbie developer, new to business mistake. Okay. 
So you mentioned four things. You said marketing, shipping, distribution, and advertising, right? Uh, and, well, I could and, collapse some of those into well, one another. You could, you could, but but that's fine. It it doesn't matter. Uh, and Apple's going to do all of those things for thirty percent. That is absolutely wrong. They're going to do two of those things for 30%. Well, they do distribution. They do distribution, which is essentially your shipping because there are no shipping costs. But they Mm -hmm. do zero marketing or advertising for you. And if you want your product to get attention, you need to do the same things you've always done. You need to reach out. You need to do PR. You need to do some sort of brand building or awareness building, rather. And that can be PR Um, or advertising. All right. You know, that I'll qualify in that they may do a limited, just like they list podcasts or their favorites or this or that. Yeah, Certainly that, no replacement no for a decent campaign. Not, I, I understand. I understand. That, that 30% from Apple does not guarantee right. you any advertising at all. You may, understood. You I, may I totally be understand. subject to it, but it's, it's, a, it's an important distinction to make because a okay. lot of people have made that mistake and failed because of it. Okay. They're, no, I, I agree with you. So just as you have something in the app store mm-hmm. for and you have an iTone or uh, iPhone or iPod touch app you are not guaranteed success because Apple offers the that's, channel that's right so, yes so so I agree with you so so I'll take that back I, I agree that they will not help you uh, become successful without a little effort on your part but as far as but but as far as what I said as far as the distribution and the payment that they take care of and that that can be a big cost and confusing for a newcomer so here, Apple, you know, basically, if somebody sells, if they buy your thing, that they'll deposit money into your bank account, you know, minus 30%, which is like, cool. Yep. So yeah, no, um, now, you know, the other thing that, that I'm going to call uh, uh, a foul on here with Apple is, is Steve Jobs is on stage and he says, and it's the same 70, 30 split that we do uh, in the iOS app store. And that nothing could be further from the truth. And and here's why. Really? Yes. Here's why. Go. Thirty a seventy thirty split on an average two dollar take when you have tw- at, you know a minimum twenty cents in credit card fees is much different than a seventy thirty split when you've got a fifty dollar take with about a mm. dollar worth of credit card fees. Apple stands to make way more money from this oh, right. than they do from, from the iOS app store. Way more. Even I totally agree because yeah. the, behind the scenes, they have whatever deal they cut with the credit card companies. Yeah. Uh, and you know this, but they're performing some level of aggregation because most comp- any credit card company, if you approach them directly, will tell you to get lost if you want to charge 99 cents. They basically say, okay, great. Pay us 99 cents in fees Actually, and we'll that's let not, you. No, that's not true because we, we, we have credit card. We take credit cards here. In fact, we take credit cards for ver- this very thing. We ha- you and I, we have, or TMO, has a, uh, has a merchant account that we use solely but, for, for the Mac. But my card. understanding is that the transactions below a certain amount, I mean, there, there's a fixed cost as far as per transaction fees. I think we pay about 25 cents as a fixed cost for the transaction. Oh. And and that's normal. It, it, it's somewhere between 20 and 30, but I think it's about 25 cents. And then on top of that is what they call the discount rate. Uh, and that's about right. somewhere between two and 3%, depending on which credit card and how it all works. Uh, that's added on top of that. So, so, but that 25 okay. cents is the same for a dollar transaction as it is for a hundred dollar right. transaction. So, so I guess what I'm saying is for, for low value transactions, Bingo. Apple provides you a huge benefit because I mean, 25 cents is, is one fourth of 99 cents. You already lost 25% that's right. just due to transaction costs for, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think 
you know, I, I think they may consider because, I mean, Dave, some software may cost and some is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I, I'm wondering if they may do a sliding, consider a sliding scale because they're going to get a lot of pushback, especially from people that want to release apps that, that, again, cost on the hundreds or thousands of dollars. So 25% or 30%, I think in that case is, is ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, if you're Microsoft, you'll probably have the opportunity to at least attempt negotiation with Apple. Uh, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, Joe software vendor, my guess is you won't because that's, that's not how Apple rolls. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so that's, that's the app store. It'll be very, I'm, I'm, I'm watching this very, very carefully. I, this is, this is an interesting thing to me. Uh, all right. So lastly, but certainly not leastly, or perhaps leastly, let's talk about the MacBook air, new MacBook air. It's essentially a, an iPad with a keyboard that runs Mac OS 10 and has a larger screen. Which isn't really an iPad at all. Are you serious? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, you know, you know, my first thought, though, when I saw it, Dave, though. Yeah. And uh, some people have yelled at me about this. But when I saw it, I, I at first, when I saw it, thought, is that running Mac OS X or is that running iOS? Hmm. Yeah. And could it run iOS? Because, I mean, hey, it's got a keyboard. Well, some people have a keyboard on their I- iPad, right? Sure. It's got a camera, which, uh, you know, yeah. I think, oh, oh, no, there's no, uh, wait, does the iPad have a camera? Uh, the iPad does not. Obviously, the touch and the and the phone do. So you had the camera. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, huh? Wouldn't that be an interesting machine? It, it lacks try a to touch run screen. That's the yes. That's the only thing you would have to add. But then, what kind of iOS device would that be? And someone asked me. Uh, one of my followers asked me. Well, wouldn't you need to pay it, put an A4 in there? And you know, Dave, I'm almost certain buried in some secret lab, buried deep within Cupertino. Is somebody running an Intel version of iOS? Of course there is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I. You know, that's it, interesting. I, I, I arrived at a similar conclusion in a, a previous conversation with someone earlier today. Uh, uh, a completely different path. And in fact, I think it was Pete, Pilot Pete and I was ta- were talking. He was He's flying the friendly skies somewhere. Uh, but he had, a, he had some time. So we Skyped a little bit. And, and. Yeah, what I thought was, well, this is what the MacBook Air is, is kind of what I want for my iPad. You know, I want I want the keyboard. I want a little bit bigger screen, you know, that sort of thing. And and really what what uh, what Pete and I came up with. And of course, this is a, you know, half baked scheme by two guys just chatting on Skype, which I guess isn't all that much different than what you and I are doing here, John. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, was, you know, what I want is I want it to run Mac OS 10 or ios right ah uh, uh, see see wouldn't that be sweet if i could have even if you took the keyboard off of it right so that the keyboard was removable and and you know like it is with the ipad what i want is a slightly larger ipad and and maybe maybe i don't even need it larger i just want it to be an ipad when i want it to be an ipad and then when i plug it into its dock i want it to be you know run mac os at mac os 10 right and i want to have you know external monitors and and uh, be able to use apps in a different way and all of that stuff. But then when I grab it, I want to take it with me and I want to use it like an iPad. So that would be cool if we're if we're going pipe dreamish here. That's yeah. What, yeah. Other than that, I think it looks like a good travel machine. Agreed. And the, at least the initial configuration, which I think is a 1.4 gigahertz dual core and two gigs of RAM to me is kind of on the wimpy side for Mac OS 10. Yeah, it is. It it is. I agree with you. It, Maybe if you're only running one app, you're, right. you're cool. Right. But but for me, Dave, and I suspect for you, well, uh, the, what I do with my machine here, I'm very happy with a 500 gig drive and a 2.6 uh, 
dual core and six gigs of RAM. It does what I need. Right. Because I, I, you know, development and, you know, messing around with video and stuff like that, I think this machine would fall short. But for, I, I couldn't see myself ever using this as a primary machine, Dave, maybe as a travel machine or a backup machine or just quick, I got to grab it and get on the road. Right. That, that, that I, I could see it uh, for. And again, maybe, uh, you know, I'm glad you, you and I came to the same conclusion. And eventually it, it, a version of it may be an iOS machine. I, I think that yeah, would be or, really neat. Or, but really, I mean, you and I both know, and I mean, Apple's made no secret of this, that iOS and Mac OS 10 share, you know, probably 80% of the OS together, right? I mean, the, the core is the same. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just the user interface stuff. And, and there's some things that you simply don't have access to in iOS, but your iPhone's got a terminal, you know, you just can't access it unless you jailbreak it. But uh, but, you know, once you jailbreak it, you can get right into the terminal on your iPhone and edit things. I mean, it's it's you know, there's not all that much different. So really, if they can find a the user experience that works in both both physically and then with the OS where you could have, you know, a a pared down functionality. And, you know, we're kind of going there with with OS 10 Lion. Right. Think about this, John. OS 10 Lion, they've got a lot of apps that are built to work in full screen mode and you can swipe from app to app. You know, that's that's a lot like an iPad. And they even said so. But is it so much like an iPad that you could switch from full screen swiping mode to uh, to, you know, to windowed mode when that suits you? And especially if it suits the t- the way you're using your device. Right. I, I, there's something mm-hmm. to this here. I, I think I think we might have we might have stumbled onto it, John. The secret. Well, we'll we'll keep it a secret, just between me and you and everybody who's and everybody else. That's right. <laughs> All right. But uh, yeah, it was a good it was a good up. It, it was another part of the product line that I think a lot of people perceived was stagnating. Yeah. And just this with the Apple TV, they they gave it a shot in the arm. I think, uh, especially the the the, and then we can move on or move out. But the elimination of any H. DD uh, uh, hard drive option yeah. where it's total flash. Now you can get two gigs or four gigs. And I think four gigs, it, if I was going to get one of these, I would definitely get the four gigs. I, I don't believe that's a, yes, I don't believe that's a user upgradable. And then okay. it sounds like they're going to mainstream the whole SSD thing. Of course, this is yeah. the SS part of SSD, right? Right. There's no D there's no drive. Right. It's not, it's just flash memory, Correct. which, um, so, so I think they're uh, kind of like the iMac where they got rid of certain things and said, deal with it. Uh, th- this is another yep. uh, instance of that. And I think that, you know, it's still and, and here's too small. It's still almost. Well, no, I think they do offer a 256 option. Yes, a they 256 do. gig. Yep. That's well, now that I upgraded to a drive twice that size, now that's too small. <laughs> but, but, but I'm amazed that, I mean, you know, so they, they learned how to cut some of the cost out. And the, the price I don't think is outrageous for the amount of SSD you get. No. So uh, I, I think they're they're, you know, forging ahead with, uh, you know, breaking some of the rules that, you know, they've done in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No. And, you know, uh, first of all, I've been living with 128 gigs on in my MacBook Pro with the SSD and hmm. and I and I I've adapted and I, it doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, so, you know, a 128, if I were to get a MacBook Air, I would go 256 just because it's always smarter to do that anyway. But but it is possible for those of you that are thinking about this to, to live at, at 128. Uh, the one thing that, that I'll say is, um, people that got MacBook airs yesterday from, from Apple, as they were traveling home, many of them decided to see what the TSA would do if they did not 
take them out of their carry-ons. Because remember, the iPad doesn't have to come out. There are no moving parts inside. There's no optical drive. There's no hard drive. It's just electronics, right? Apple showed us the inside. It's electronics and, you know, tons of battery. And every single report I've heard is that these things sailed through with flying colors. Now, I don't yeah. know what the TSA's official policy is going to be, if, you know, at, at down the road. Well, they look too much like computers for the TSA to really make an intelligent decision here. But uh, my guess is the rule is going to be you got to take it out. But if it doesn't cause any problems on the x-ray, my guess is we could just leave them in and, and let it rip. And that's my thought because Dave, uh, I mean, my computer bag is not just a computer bag. It is the gadget bag. And every, almost every time I go through Dave, uh, my bag is one of the things where I see the guy pausing, looking at it, sometimes calling somebody over, pointing at something, asking what, you know, what the heck is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they just look at it and say, okay, that looks like random electronics or something with batteries in it. Okay, fine. Actually, you know, I wonder if, do they do anything more than just look to make sure it doesn't look like a gun? Uh, <laughs> I yeah, sometimes they, wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm going to mention something because you mentioned your computer bag. I traveled to, obviously, to Blog World Expo this past weekend, and I didn't want to have to check a bag. Uh but I also don't like carrying a backpack anymore. It just, it stinks in the, cause you know, you got a big heavy laptop in there. And like you said, John, you've just got piles and piles and piles and piles of cables and all that other stuff that weighs it down. So I attempted something that I've been wanting to attempt for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did travel with my MacBook pro that I want to, I want to do that too. I want to travel without it too. But in this trip I couldn't cause we were, you know, Gene and I were speaking and, and all that. And so I used the, I have this case logic. It's their 22 inch lightweight, expandable upright roller model LLR two, two, two. And it's not cheap. It's 180 bucks, but it, it looks like your typical rolling sort of looks like your typical rolling suitcase, but it's huge inside. It's really well engineered and it's got a sleeve on the outside for your laptop. So it makes it really easy to go through security with them without your laptop. So I actually traveled. What did we do? Three nights in, in Vegas. I did not bring a backpack at all. Uh, I brought only this suitcase and I packed all my you know clothes and all that. My computer and my iPad. Now, my computer stayed in the in the backpack other than going or in the uh, I didn't have a backpack. It stayed in the, the roller uh other than going through security, I didn't take it out on the plane or anything. Cause of course I use my iPad for, for that stuff now, but, uh, but man, that it, it's the best suitcase I have found for this stuff. And it was so good to see it work in action, uh, this past weekend. So for those of you, I know we've got quite a few travelers here. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes, but, uh, but it, it's a, it's a cool thing. So there you go. That's my thought. I'm sticking to it and I'm definitely <laughs> sticking with the bag. I'm going to use it again. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, it's time to see if we can get the band to uh, to fire it up here, or to stop firing it up and coming in from the cold. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know how to get in touch with us, but we're going to tell you anyway. Uh, premium at macgeekgab.com is the email address for all of you, uh, and you can send us email there, of course, text, video, pictures, audio. Uh, Dave, you did you say premium at MacGeekGab.com? Holy cow, John, I thought you'd never ask. I did. I said premium at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. And I threw my pen when I said that, when I threw yeah. it over to you. you? Uh, that's the phone number you call. 
MacGeekUp.com is uh, the place where you'll start looking to see uh, when you're looking for show notes. That they're all linked from there. Mm-hmm. And so you can Skype us to MacGeekCab as well. Uh, again, we've got Macworld Expo coming up, as I said in the last show. We have a link for hotel rooms at the uh, Intercontinental. Can't get the price any lower because of the way San Francisco hotel uh, lockups are working this year. But we can get all of you upgraded rooms. Book your room. It'll book as a standard. But as long as you use the link, which has our little code in it, it will get upgraded. Uh, if you want, send your confirmation in, confirmation number into us, and we'll double check and make sure that you're going to be on the list to get upgraded. So. Uh, I think that's it, John. Time to get out of here. Out of here. Oh, I, oh you know what? No, wait, oh, how could we? How could we? We can't forget. Uh, Michael Johnston from We Have Communicators, oh. of course, converts this to AAC for your enhancement. And, of course, our, our bandwidth all comes from cashfly.com. And that's it. We're out of here now. Have a great weekend and uh, don't get caught. Made up.